We can either go up or down. We already know that. That's a, that's a fact of life in investing. I'm going to blame the Fed on this situation. My blame is square on the risk management process by the Silicon Valley bank executives. We don't see a crisis happening right now. When rates go down, values go up. Good day. Today is Friday, March 31st, 2023, and this is The Bash. Welcome to The Bash, where we bring the analyst and planner to the table to discuss relevant financial and investment topics. We're going to have 60 seconds to discuss each topic. Scott, my man, the analyst, just moved. The weather's starting to get a little nicer. We're finally moved into spring. What comes to mind when you think of this great season? Oh, it's the best time of year. Baseball is back. Nothing better. I love it. Go out there every day, have a catch, play ball. It's just, it's just the best feeling. All right, so you do something else than other than watch the market, I guess, because it's closed on the weekend. And um, yes, we love baseball season, but we do have to turn to headline news, and we're gonna get right into it. Um, it's a serious right time right now with the economy and the market, and let's go uh, right to what's on most investors' minds. Are we on the brink of a financial crisis similar to two thousand eight? All right, Matt, you reminded me I got one minute here, so I'm gonna move quick. One minute to go, unless you were bluffing. And we're at the last day of the first quarter for 2023. We're closing out the first quarter with positive gains on the S&P 500 of close to 6%, close to 3% in March alone, as we're being told how we're in another financial crisis. I'm hearing it from investors. I'm hearing it from clients. I'm hearing it from peers of how this is a very short-term pop in the market and that overall, we're still in a bear market. I find that there's evidence to the contrary. Sentiment is very low. Pessimism is very, very high right now. But when I look at some of the economic indicators, CPI expectations are falling dramatically, close to the highest uh, drop in expectations in 30 years. So when we look at the recent Fed hike, we believe it was more dovish than hawkish. This banking crisis feels more like a cold than COVID. We've done dramatic measurements from regulators and policymakers to make sure that the system remains solvent with confidence so that investors could be able to do their banking. They could be able to operate efficiently. The S&P 500, two straight quarters of positive gains. We have never had a bear market in the last 50 years with two straight quarters of positive gains. Overall, sentiment is low. And we believe that the bears could be potentially trapped right now, trapped and fueling further gains in April. Scott, that was great. You talked about the market. I'm going to say we're really focused on two words, stress tests. What happened after 2008? Regulars forced the banking sector to hold larger amounts of capital to act as buffers, lend more conservatively, and demonstrate their ability to deal with tough economic conditions. That is what is happening. What we saw right now, regional banks, Silicon Valley Bank, and some of the other banks are more, they don't have as much regulation as the larger banks. And Scott, did you know within the most recent stress tests this past year, all the large banks passed. They were all set up and showed that they could survive a deep recession and a significant drop in unemployment. Scott, do we have a deep recession right now? Are we facing huge drop in unemployment? No, that's not even happening right now. Nope. So 
the large banks have learned this, their lessons. We have regulations put in place. And like you said, more of a cold. I mean, I, I can't predict if maybe in our regional bank and some of the investment decisions they're making could be problems in the future. But we don't see a crisis happening right now because of what I say, stress tests that have been put in place for large banks. All right, Matt, let's stay on topic here. This is this is the hot topic right now. So let's stay on point and play our favorite game. Make the case. Who's to blame for the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank? Scott, to me, it's simple. The Fed, the Federal Reserve is to blame. I'm going to tell you my reasons why. You know, one year ago, in March 2022, the Federal Reserve funds rate was around 0%. Fast forward to today, it's between 4.75% and 5%. That's almost a 500% increase in one year. Are there not going to be consequences when you raise rates that fast? When inflation soared in 2021, the Fed was quick to attribute this to transitory supply shocks while understating the surge in aggregate demand. In the end, it will be transitory. They have been behind the curve, and now they're trying to catch up. And what happened, they did, in my mind, a very good job of jumping in when we had the pandemic, but they didn't see ahead when there were lockdowns around the world, supply became an issue, and they waited to start raising rates. You did not see that one coming, did you, Grandpa? And now they've raised them so quickly. Look what's happened with the housing market and mortgage rates that have more than doubled in one year, and it's hurting companies. And now we're seeing banks are suffering with some of their investment decisions because interest rates have increased so fast and we are seeing some of the consequences. So I'm going to blame the Fed on this situation. What about you? I believe that there's a, a perfect storm that was brewed and it hit uh, a company that had poor risk management uh, that operated uh, without protecting the balance sheet. Uh, I believe that the majority of the blame should actually be placed on the risk management process that was put in place at the bank. Well, what makes them think you're a risk management expert? I guess it's on my resume. Because when you look at the balance sheet and you look at where assets were held and how lending was done, I believe that there was ways that risk could have been transferred to a third party. I believe that they could have been able to operate within the options market to remove that risk. This removal of risk is something that major banks do, which is why this crisis is contained. And I don't believe that as of now we are seeing contagion. Had it been purely the fault of just rising rates, I believe that maybe we would have seen a spillover into some other areas as well. And that still may happen. But right now, my blame is square on the risk management process put in place by the Silicon Valley Bank executives. Scott, not surprising you talk about risk management as the issue and as an analyst makes sense. Um, we're going to move on, though, to a new segment. And like, there's no better way to say explain the chart. There's a lot of different investment topics out there. And Scott, for you, show us your chart and explain what do you see happening? Well, number one, uh, right in front of everyone is the S&P 500. Uh, and this chart is a daily chart. Uh, so each line represents a day of trading. And we're going back almost a full year. But the significance, what we're actually looking at are the two white lines uh, that I drew in this chart. And if everyone knows their shapes here, they know that looking at a symmetrical triangle here that is converging, and you're seeing the S&P 500 get to a point where it's bumping up against the top and the bottom, and it has to break out. 
one way or the other. It either breaks out to the top or it breaks out to the bottom. This week, we have seen, and you're able to see it right on the chart, that breakout, it has now moved above that resistance level on the S&P 500. So we are watching those critical levels right now, and we're going to be seeing a little bit more resistance come in to levels that we saw back in January. But this chart, the significance of this is we are looking for patterns in technical analysis. We're looking for things like this that have played out before. I've seen this before in a magic show. Where we could look at this triangular pattern and be able to measure where are we going to break out? We can either go up or down. We already know that. That's, that's a fact of life in investing. But in the way this pattern is moving to that upside, as well as some of the variables that I mentioned before, I believe that the movement higher that we've seen this week alone, that could continue over the short period of time before the next resistance levels in play. Scott, thank you. Great explanation. Before we pull up my chart, I want to pose the question, do you think investors are worried right now? And let me read off a recent statistic. Bank of America's March Global Fund Manager Survey, which saw participation of 212 fund managers with $548 billion in assets under management, suggests investor sentiment is close to levels of pessimism seen at lows of past 20 years. So let's take a look at the chart we have here. And sideline cash right now is greater than the COVID peak. Look at May 20th, 2020, $3.2 trillion on the sidelines. Fast forward to March 22nd, 2023, $5.1 trillion are on the sidelines right now. What is causing this increase in cash? Worries about banks across the globe, high inflation, hawkish central banks, and worsening of geopolitics have emerged as all top risks right now. There is fear in the streets, Scott. You mentioned pessimism, and the average investor is fearful of the market, and we're seeing that right now with cash on the sidelines. Mayhem. Horror. So, Matt, let's switch gears here, talk a little about financial planning. Often in meetings, uh, we are talking to clients about their home. Uh, sometimes they're staying, sometimes they're moving. So with rates having gone up substantially over the last 12 months, how are we now advising clients around their home? Well, you know, this one right in my uh, wheelhouse right now. How are we planning? And you brought up rates. Let's look at a uh, recent statistic. Borrowing rates right now, according to bankrate.com, as of March 26, 2023, the 30-year average fixed rate is 6.96%. That's almost 7%. So when I talk to a client and I talk about paying down debt versus investing, it's all about is interest costing you 7%, then you need to be earning 7% or more somewhere else. No offense, but how? So when you're about to be buying a home and you're going to walk into a mortgage of about 7%, what am I doing with clients? I'm looking at two areas. First, building up more cash because if we need to pull back on their workout, putting money in a retirement, or if it's going to be in a college, you got to sacrifice somewhere so you have more money to put down. So if your rate's going to be about 7%, it's kind of hard to earn that in another investment vehicle. And the second part, building up cash, we've talked in recent Bash episodes, interest rates are higher, three, six-month, one-year treasury, paying over 4% plus right now. Other ways to squeeze out some extra cash so you have that money to put down on buying a new home. Scott, what about you? So I want to look at it uh, financially uh, from an overall, the home that you own and what happens to the value of your home 
based off of certain conditions. And some of my questions could be uh, rhetorical here. I think the Admiral's asking a rhetorical question. But um, rates are elevated right now. If rates go down in the future, what historically happens to values? Don't they go up? So if values are going to go up when rates pull back, don't you then have an opportunity with rates lower to refinance that mortgage that you took out during a higher rate environment? I believe the answers to both of those questions are yes. So when I'm speaking to a client about their home, which is different than a financial asset, this is their home where they're raising their children and having their family, um, and they're considering to, to buy or sell, it's a lot more of an emotional conversation because I do know it's not just about the rates. Rates are going to be volatile. They're going to pull back. When? I don't know. I don't know. But they're going to pull back. And when they do, you can refinance a mortgage. But what you might not be able to do when rates pull back is buy that same home at a valuation that you can afford. Because I do know that historically, when rates go down, values go up. So in terms of advising clients, it is a it's a comprehensive conversation centered around emotions, centered around borrowing and finance. But it is that full conversation, not just the factor of what are interest rates at. Very good, Scott. Thank you for allowing financial planning topic in this episode. I know you were ready to talk about the banks. I mean, you, the analysts, care about risk and the key word here, crisis. Scott, did you tell us today crisis is going to be avoided? Is that how you feel? That's what, what I feel. I feel that clients should be looking at the volatility as an opportunity to dollar cost average, follow their financial plan and look out six, 12 months longer. Great. Anything else you want to add before we uh, send off here? Well, you know, enjoy baseball and stay safe and stay the course. All right. Thank you very much, Scott. And to all of our investors, don't forget, stay focused, stay disciplined and stay tuned for the next episode of The Bash. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member, FINRA, SIPC. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee for future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. The economic forecasts set forth in this material may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor.